And we will tell people, look, the chance of success here is 0.1%. So a great example for this is uh, review manipulation. They kind of have a two strikes and you're out rule. And we have a few clients that we've gotten back after two times, but it is a super small percentage. Usually you're done. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ad Project Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joe Shelley from Ad Advance, and today I'm joined by Leslie Hensel from Riverbend Consulting. So, Leslie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. This is exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's awesome to have you on. Like, we've had multiple clients that we've referred to you guys just with different, like, account suspension type issues or other things like that. And so I felt like it'd be really valuable to have you on the show and see what, like, common trends are that we're seeing in the marketplace. And as we know, selling on Amazon is not easy. And there's always those risks of one day logging into your account and seeing that something, product or account is suspended. And so, you know, before we even get into any of that, maybe if you could give a quick introduction for people who aren't familiar with you or Riverbend and just kind of what you guys do. Sure thing. So I am co-founder of Riverbend Consulting along with my partner, Joe Zalta, and we help people to get their accounts and ASINs reinstated when they have been taken off of Amazon. And that includes both third-party sellers and 1P vendors. We do a little bit of work in the Walmart space, Etsy, eBay, but there's just not as much demand right now for that as there is, of course, for the granddaddy Walmart or Walmart Amazon. (laughs) And we help with some other things too, like reimbursements, customer service messages, some of the drudgery people don't want to handle in their accounts. Sure. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, just, so I started as a seller and so I can just feel that pain and it's, it's a scary situation where you can be building up this awesome business, but knowing that just from some automated bot that's going to go through, you could get shut down at any minute. <laughs> and I'm guessing that many, many sellers, like probably over a majority of them have experienced this in one way, shape or form, like throughout their selling careers. And so just wanted to get your take on, you know, key things to look out for or or maybe before we even get into that, let's just start with like recent trends that you've been seeing or things that sellers should really be watching out for right now, since you get to see the full scope of a lot of issues coming through. It really does help that we see a volume of work in our business because we can see what Amazon is enforcing right now. Sure. My employees, so I have 15 ex Amazon people on staff, and they remind me all the time this is just a small data set. But compared to most sellers who are a data set of one or them and their friends, a data set of what, five, yep. we, we can so, show a little bit more of what's going on in the universe of Amazon. So right now, the main reason for account suspensions by far in all the data that we've tracked since about September is related or linked accounts. And it's not because there are more of those than there used to be. It's because Amazon has gotten better at detecting them. It's also because Amazon has started picking up a lot of false positives. So many. So technically, just some quick background. You can have more than one seller account on Amazon. You have to have a viable business reason. The number one reason they shut people down for having, well, there's two reasons, big ones, that they shut people down for related accounts. One is if you're selling the same inventory on two accounts. That is not just an Amazon problem. That becomes a Federal Trade Commission problem because of price fixing. So you can't do that. And then the other thing is, like, let's say you were selling textbooks. 
reselling your old textbooks back when you were 20 sure. in college. And then you didn't ship someone a textbook because you were a dumb college student and it was the end of the semester and you were partying and you didn't send the, send the person their textbook. So then Amazon shut down your little bitty seller account on which you'd sold a total of three things. And then you're a grown up and you're 32 and you're starting up an Amazon business. Sure. They link your viable now, real Amazon business linked to your private label brand or whatever back to your textbook account okay. from years ago and shut you down. That can also happen like with old roommates, um, people that you were married to, old business partners, anybody that you have a close relationship with or lived in the same place. If they get taken down, it can take you down as well. Sure. Sure. And, and so you were kind of getting to it too, but what, what is the key thing that Amazon is trying to get to? Like under any of these underlying suspensions, there's like key points that they're trying to prevent. And so what is like the major issue that we have with these linked accounts? Is it people that have multiple accounts? Accounts and then, all right, if one gets shut down, I have my backup so I don't have to worry as much. Or what, what's like the underlying like core reason why Amazon doesn't like linked accounts in the first place or multiple so accounts? So let's say that they shut you down for inauthentic inventory or inventory that's in bad condition. They called it condition or you sold as new or counterfeit items, expired, any of those. And they shut you down. They don't want you to open an account and sell that same bad inventory that they did not like on that other account sure. because to them if you could if you couldn't get reinstated as far as they're concerned it is inauthentic counterfeit expired or used and so they think you know if i let you just open another account it's going to be the same garbage happening over again the same bad inventory sure sure and, and so what's your perspective on what they're actually looking at when they're trying to review these like so having the same inventory between different accounts you know that's pretty easy for them to pull and then they can see if there's commonalities maybe in like logins or something like that but w what do you think is really flagging it is it logins coming from the same ip address is it like just like the other case you gave from the college account to your current account they can just tie the names together and then look at commonalities there like how, how are do you feel like they're really linking these accounts right now so the irony the frustrating part is that they are not supposed to link on a single factor sure so we do see people that are linked on a single factor and that's not supposed to be that way the last that I heard, there are more than 72 ways that they link accounts. Okay. And so that's stunning. It's supposed to be like if they find, you know, several linkages, then it would make sense. It does include things like the the thumbprint, if you will, of your computer. So what screen do you use? What versions of software? All those things. Your IP address is definitely a thing. Bank account information. You know those sites online where you can search someone and it shows like every address they've ever lived at? Sure. They use those kind of databases to link you up to people. And then it'll say other people in this household are related to this person. They use that kind of public information to link. And the things that will really get you quickly are if you are silly enough to put the same credit card. Sure. And it, and it happens. Sure. I mean, it's just a mistake or there's – partners and one of them doesn't realize that that was used on the other account and they use it on the you know the second one things like that that'll get you addresses things that are not supposed to link you but have that we've been working on trying to get people fixed and reinstated are like when you're using a, a, a prep center 
you have all your returns sent to the prep center and then your inventory also has a, a ship from address from that prep center. And so they'll think that, hey, Joe and Leslie are both shipping from and having returns go to this same address. Well, yeah, because we use the same prep center, sure. but they, they aren't looking and seeing, oh, golly, that's a service provider. Or we've also had people who, you know how you can rent out space in a warehouse and you can have like multiple offices, but then everyone shares the common warehouse. That's gotten people before because they were selling the same category. Uh, In one case, we had some guys who were like neighbors in one of those warehouse situations and also used the same supplier for some of their products. So that one, I understood why Amazon caught them. And golly, that one was tough to fix. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So lots of different factors, and they got a little like mm-hmm. CSI team over there <laughs> trying to <laughs> trying to figure out ways that you can link these together. And yeah, well, what's frustrating, and I'm sure you deal with it all the time, is that many times you may have a couple factors that just randomly line up, just like the cases you were just yes. going through, and they always seem to react first. And then we had to fix it after the fact. And so are you still seeing that too, where instead of giving us the opportunity ahead of time, Amazon will just suspend and then it's up to us to prove ourselves as innocent versus the other way around? Right. There's no questions asked and no opportunity given. They just suspend. Uh, Then you have to prove a negative. And proving a negative, as we all know, is very difficult. That's why, like, in court, we don't make people prove a negative. Sure. Right? (laughs) But Amazon is not court. So. Uh, you really have to run through all the scenarios in your imagination sometimes to figure out how this happened. Now, Amazon, to their credit, they have started giving hints. So they'll give you the first three letters of the storefront name of the other selling account you're linked to. And so you can like call every friend you have that you've been at their house and gotten on your phone and say, hey, what's your storefront name? Because sure. you never know that about each other, right? <laughs> what's your storefront name? What's your storefront name? And you know, call everyone and figure out like if there's a service provider that linked you or something. Because before, you, it was worse. You had nothing. Yeah. Without uh, but, any but information do... and without even knowing how you got flagged, it's really hard to prove that you shouldn't have been flagged You're that saying... way. <laughs> yeah. You're linked. Who knows why? Yeah. So now at least we got something uh, to go with. And in some cases, it makes no sense. And and we ask our sellers, we have lists of questions that we go through where we, we sound like we're being cruel, sure. <laughs> like, we're, like we're mean and we think you're bad. It's not that. We're just asking every possible thing we can think of that could have linked you. And we, we do best guesses till we get it solved. Okay. So we, we've talked about linked accounts. Like what's some other major reasons that you see full account suspensions that people should just be aware of or look out and try to avoid? We're seeing a lot of code of conduct right now. And code of conduct is a scary, scary, bad reason to get suspended. Like if there's a spectrum of, oh, it's okay, we're going to fix it easy. And code of conduct is more on the uh, side where it's really hard uh, to get fixed sometimes. Unfortunately, we are also seeing a spate of false positives on code of conduct, which is shocking to me because that's like you're getting charged with a felony. So explain to me, like when you say code of conduct, what's what's some Mm -hmm. certain examples for code of conduct violations? 
So the way Amazon writes the rules, anything could fall in code of conduct, sure. but generally what they are talking about is when you are hurting other sellers or you are hurting customers. So hurting other sellers would be black hat tactics of any kind. Sure. Oh, anything that's illegal or fraudy also. So if you are um, you know, placing fake orders that go to those Amazon boxes so you can boost your BSR. Sure. They're not going to they're not going to say it's BSR manipulation. They're throwing that right in code of conduct cuz you could say it's mail fraud, right? Sure. So anything hurting other sellers, anything hurting buyers like brushing with the fake orders that go to real buyers. Yeah, yeah. That's code of conduct. Being abusive, they will sometimes suspend you for like buyer seller messaging abuse, but if you're really abusive, that goes right to code of conduct. They're not going to not going to wait, not going to pass it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We actually experienced, we, we were getting brushed for a while where somebody got our address and we were getting so many products sent to us on a daily basis. <laughs> some were good, some were kind of junky, but <laughs> so it was, it was kind of fun coming back every day and it's like, okay, what'd we get today? But <laughs> yeah, it, it took us a little bit to figure it out. And if I wasn't in the Amazon space, it would have been really confusing on where all these products are coming from and why are they being shipped to us for free? <laughs> It is very confusing. Yeah. And then there have been the brushing scams where it's like products that aren't even legal in the United States, like imported seeds. That oh, was sure. a big brushing scam. I thing remember for a that. While. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> People were so getting seeds and they were trying to figure out why. Yep. Right. Right. <laughs> and oh, and also under code of conduct is some linked accounts. So again, this isn't innocent linked accounts or oopsie i forgot i had that old account or oh yeah i admit it i got shut down 10 years ago i didn't think they'd care if i opened one now sure. we're not talking about that we're talking about you know i'm in league with my buddies and we have a circle of seven accounts and we pass around the inventory on all of them and it's all backups for everything and, it, and it's really obvious sure. um and you know big hint never use the picker you know they've got that picker where you can like there's a drop down and you can choose which account don't do that. It links you. Sure. So that will jump you right into code of conduct instead of being just a linked account. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And so I'm assuming for like some of those cases too, when people come to you and you start digging into the, the questions, there's some that where you just have to say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to help you. Like <laughs> what you were doing was just not legit. So I'll tell you what happens because now if someone is breaking the law or stealing, we're going to say, sorry, not going to work with you. Yeah. For a lot of the others, we will tell people, look, the chance of success here is 0.1% sure. or, you know, whatever it is. So a great example for this is uh, review manipulation. The first time you could get reinstated. The second time they kind of have a two strikes and you're out rule. Sure. And we have a few clients that we've gotten back after two times, but it is a super small percentage. Usually you're done. Sure. So I'll go to them and say, look, here's what you did. You know what you did to get back on. You have to tell them you're never going to do any of this again. And you have to never do it because they will hold your funds permanently if they catch you again. Sure. And your chances of success are less than 1%. If you'd like us to appeal, we will help you. And if not, no harm, no foul. And a lot of people, because of the investment they've made in their business, will decide to move forward and try and appeal and pay for the service sure. because they've you know, they've got a lot of money in the business and we really do give them the whole read the riot act of why it happened and what the consequences are if Amazon catches you. Because if you violate the same policies over and over, they are very likely to keep your money permanent. Sure, sure. 
Yeah. No. And your inventory. I mean, all your stuff. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. Like for any relationship, like when we take people on, on the, for the advertising side, it's setting those initial expectations up front and just making sure that everybody understands exactly what they're signing up for. Again, setting those expectations. And like I can see in many cases too, uh, just with the time and the effort and the money and the inventory and everything building up these accounts to lose all that. Oh, I mean, there's, yeah, it's a huge amount of money on the line. So that 1% may totally be worth it. Well, and I get it. I've had clients who they had a suspension in the past that was their fault. And then they had an employee that did something wrong. I had one client where they had an employee submit fake invoices Mm. and they honest to God did not know that they, the employee had faked the invoices. And so they got caught for forged and manipulated documents. And it was the second time. Sure. And, and, you know, you can talk about that. They had a culture, you know, because the, the, the main dude had done it the first time. Right. So you can talk about, you've got a culture, you don't have systems in place. You can talk about all that till you're blue in the face. But the fact is the owner of the account had no idea that was being done. He had told people to never, ever do that. Sure. We can't get caught doing that again. And so when he got caught, of course, we're going to help him appeal. Yeah. Because, you know, it'd be easy to say people are so judgy in this space. They're like, well, he's a bad guy, man. You hear his whole story. Yeah. Oh, it was awful. It was awful. Sure. And he's going to have to lay off all these people. This particular person sold Halloween costumes and got suspended the last week of September. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, there's so much bad to that story. And so, yeah, we're going to help them, but we're going to make it super clear that chances of success are really low because of what happened. And it did happen. I mean, we've had to admit it in the appeal. Yeah. Sure. This employee did this. Yeah. 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 That's no fun whatsoever. <laughs> no, I felt terrible for it. Yeah. How about product specific suspensions mm-hmm. or yeah. Amazon just saying certain products aren't meeting our guidelines or shutting down. Yeah. Key products. So right now there is a whole lot going on around expiration. It probably is related to kind of the cleanup that they do on inventory right after uh, the holiday season. There is a lot of stuff that gets found in the fulfillment centers that's really old, and then they yell at the seller for it. So, y'all, you really do. You're in charge of your expiration dated products, not Amazon. They are not first in, first out. They say they are. It's a lie. Don't believe it. So you really have to be careful that you're selling out, you're sending things in in fresh SKUs. So if you have stuff that expires, you send stuff in in January, it's under one SKU, you replenish it in March, it's a different SKU. So you can turn off that January SKU and turn on the March SKU so that you're in control of that, not Amazon, because you cannot trust them no matter how big your date stickers are. So that's a big one right now. Also, Amazon is making good on its promise. They said that if you sold dietary supplements, if you sold uh, certain sets of supplements, certain categories of supplements that they were going to ask for all this expanded testing, Mm -hmm. and you were going to have to have a GMP certified manufacturer. And even if you're a reseller, someone's got to give the testing documents. So you better be ready. They are following through on that. They are asking for the documents. They are contacting the manufacturer and the testing lab to make sure that they are real documents. Ask me how I know. Sure. Because <laughs> um, one of my clients, someone faked some documents and sent them in, and their lab got called, and the lab's like, never seen this before. Oh, man. Yeah. So, and, and it was Amazon, Amazon actually emailed 
that contract manufacturer's lab to say, is this a real document? So they do check these, y'all. Sure. And they didn't get suspended, though, after we worked on that for them. Okay. Just saying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they are, they are making good on demanding all the COAs, and they want updated testing information. That's really huge. And I think the, the third thing to know right now is that if you sell anything that has a risk of enforcement over a safety incident. And that means someone complains and says a product hurts them. Sure. So a lot of times this is um, supplements, this can be topical products, this can be anything that can catch on fire. Sure. So anything that plugs into a yep, wall or has battery. Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if it can burn you in any way, chemically or with an actual fire, that's what most safety complaints are about is, you know, it burns, it hurts, I had to go to the ER. Amazon's getting really aggressive about safety complaints. And when I say aggressive, I mean it doesn't take three. It takes one. And they will shut your ASIN down, and they will ask you for all the relevant testing, and they will ask you for a plan. A lot of times the plan is that you didn't have any kind of safety information on your listing detail page or on your packaging. So if you don't have that, get it on there now. Your your lawyer and your insurance company would want you to have to. So things like, you know, if your skin, if you have discomfort, stop using immediately. Those kinds of things. You need those disclaimers. But also the other lesson is you've got to have all your relevant testing on hand in advance because you don't want to be my client who was asked for HRIPT testing, which is like patch testing kind of, skin reaction testing. Sure. Those tests take six weeks. Okay. And Amazon asked them for that, and they don't have it. And so – their ASIN is going to be down eight weeks. Sure. And and sometimes you can fight back and say that's not relevant for this product, but most of the time it is. And if you don't have it, you're going to miss out on a lot of sales and lose your BSR. So sure. actually having the documents in advance is super important right now because Amazon is sharing legal liability with you at this point, according to the courts, and they're going to so they're going to go after sellers. Sure. It all rolls downhill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so for, for people who are experiencing instances like this, like for instance, with, with my products, uh, I saw these organic chemistry molecular model kits. They're used for organic chemistry <laughs> courses. Like, and so it's just these plastic cool. pieces. You can build little 3D models uh, used in colleges. And so before I got flagged because they said that this should be hazmat because they saw molecular and so they're like, oh, okay, yep, that's a chemistry set. And so it was a lot of back and forth. And I'm sure I probably could have been much more effective at my back and forth to get it reinstated a lot quicker. Um, so what's some strategies that you would advise sellers to take when they see these initial, your product's been shut down or your account's been shut down? Like, how do, what's the most effective way to respond just using your inside knowledge, you know, with your experience and having a lot of people who worked previously at Amazon? So let's talk specifically about ASINs. Because like your restricted products, ASIN. Yeah. The first thing you have to do is decide if... Amazon is right or wrong. And you have to do this in a non-defensive way (laughs) because let's face it, we all want to throw things at Amazon all the time. So you immediately assume that it's all their fault and you didn't do anything wrong. We all do that. It's natural. So in your case, obviously Joe can look at his product and say, no, not hazmat. And he can proceed with argumentation. But if it were in fact Joe's problem, then you have to solve the problem. So if you have a whole lot, if, if, if you're getting condition complaints, Amazon shuts you down for condition complaints, 
look at the data. Do you have a bunch of returns? Do you have a bunch of bad comments? Is, sure. is something going on with this product? Voice of the customer, is it weird? Or is it really all clean? So do the research and figure out if you're the good guy before you respond. And that goes for ASIN and account. Because if you respond and say, nothing's wrong, they're just going to ignore sure. you. They will not help you. And if you say, what are you basing this on? They do not respond. That's your problem, not theirs, in their mind. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's what they do. So then secondly, you have to write a really nice appeal, whether you did something or not. And it's really great to come up with a root cause saying what you did wrong, even when you didn't. Okay, so like for Joe's example, he could say, I could see how it caused some confusion at Amazon that the word chemistry and molecular was used because that might have led a reviewer to believe blah, blah, blah. But in fact, yada, yada. Right. So even if you didn't do anything wrong, you have to say, oh, I see the problem. And then you have to have your detailed plan of action saying how you're going to prevent it from happening again. And with that, dates are important. So like by this date, we're going to do this remedy or we've already done this remedy and put dates and times. They love that. And you have to keep it short, simple, like sixth grade, fifth grade reading level. You do not know which hemisphere this will be read in. You don't know if this will be ESL or um, English as primary language. You do not know the level of training the reviewer has. They could have been at Amazon a day or a year or 10 years. You do not know. So make it simple, simple, simple. But it's got to not be defensive. It has to be proactive and not sucking up, but just you know, just the facts, but let's solve this problem together. And then Joe, in your case, I'll tell you, restrictive products is very frustrating because Amazon, like you said, you said the bot, they use AI to find restricted products and they believe internally. And I am told this by my brilliant people. They believe that their bot is correct. Now I don't mean it has like a 1% error. I mean, they believe it's correct. And then they've been trained that it's correct. So frontline people do not feel empowered to override what the bot does to them. Even if it's obviously stupid, (laughs) they don't feel empowered to do it. So in those cases, we have to escalate almost every single one of those kinds of cases. Now, if you all want to escalate out there and you don't have my wonderful list of email addresses that we (laughs) help our clients escalate to and all the teams that we know uh, the frontline escalation right now. And this will sound crazy, but I promise you it works. There is a department called executive seller relations and they used to have their own email address. That email address has been turned off. You send your escalation to Jeff at amazon.com. Sure. That is no longer the Jeff email. That is executive seller relations. So you send it to Jeff at amazon.com. And then when you address it, you address it and say, dear executive seller relations, blah, blah, blah. And then the last trick, and this is super important, and this is the difference between getting your email read and not. You have to include your A number in the first paragraph. So your A number is like your store identifier, your token. You have to include that number, and you can find that in your settings. Or like if you search for your storefront, it's actually up in the URL for your storefront. You have to include that or they will not read your email. Okay. 
Awesome tips. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that makes total sense too. Just, yeah, <laughs> we'll keep, Don't we'll keep it a anyone, secret. Y'all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it makes sense too, just having to spell this out because you know, the people on the other side too, they're probably looking at how many responses that they get back, probably not understanding how these bots even make their decisions and then not feeling empowered to override it. Yeah. Again, you had to prove yourself innocent and you have to provide a lot yes. of information to be able to do that. So if it, you can make it as cut and dried as possible and really spelling it out to help get through those layers, I, I can see how that definitely helps. Absolutely. And so here's the stuff that's going to blow your mind because you said they've got to go through a lot of stuff. Investigators are supposed to handle 20 transactions per hour. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. A little math tells you that's three minutes. So let's imagine this is a second appeal or third appeal. And then, you know, there's notes in there like saying why they investigated you, why they suspended you, what they saw when they read the first appeal, why it was denied. Right. Just reading that would take more than three minutes, probably, unless they're on speed. I mean, come on. (laughs) And then they've got to read your appeal and then they have to think about it and decide. And then potentially try to verify or different pieces like that, too. You know, that three minutes is just getting the history and trying to figure out where it's at. It's not like even spending three minutes looking at your product and cross-checking the two. Like, you're spending most of the time just trying to catch up what's even going on in that ticket. Exactly, because like if you, they asked you for invoices, they have to look at the invoices and decide if they're real. They might run it through their program. They'll also like Google Google it and look at the maps and see if it's actually like the address of your supplier is a real place sure. or if it's a field. They they do all that stuff and they'll look through oh what's it called you know those business services that like rate companies you know they'll see if you're registered in any of those yeah, yeah. and they do they do all that stuff in like a Duns number they'll look for all those things so. Um, I I don't know how you do that three minutes. I don't know how you do it in 10. (laughs) So you really do have to make it simple to understand. And then imagine doing that with English as a second language. I'm impressed with anyone who can operate in a second language, like at a work level, not just a, you know, where's the bathroom and help me find the airport. (laughs) So, but still to the colloquialisms and understanding like the business language of another country in addition to it being your second language and all these processes, I mean, my goodness, they're behind the eight ball. So it makes sense why a lot of what they do doesn't make sense. Sure. Sure. Yep. Yep. No. And thank you for painting that picture because it puts it in perspective too. And when you're framing up these messages, thinking through that person who's trying to sift through all these different tickets and giving them as much context as possible from the start, you can see how that would definitely be helpful overall. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, we could talk for quite a while longer, but you know, for people who want to learn more about you, where should they go? So our website is riverbendconsulting.com. We have a phone number there. We answer the phone, which in this day and age is really crazy. (laughs) We answer it every day during daylight hours, or you can uh, fill out a form on the website and we'll get back to you. And also if you head on over to LinkedIn and um, connect with me or follow me, Leslie Hensel, I post up content about Amazon 
most days of the week. And some of it is kind of hints about things like the like the Jeff address that we just talked about. So uh, please go over there and follow me. And if you have any questions, you can hit me up there and I'll help you out. Yeah, yeah this has been awesome. And, and just to throw my little plug in there too, we have sent multiple clients who are having issues, whether it's with their products or accounts over to Riverbend and had some great luck too. So just put my, my little plug in for you too. So thank yeah. you. Well, thanks again for joining. And for anybody listening to the Ad Project podcast, as always, thanks for listening. We appreciate it and we'll see you on the next episode.